are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. What's going on, everybody? My name is James Bodden, and you are tuned in to the Lunch Break Podcast. This is episode number 24 of the Lunch Break Podcast, and today I have Ashad Mason refers to himself as a business point guard and draws a lot of inspiration in his business career from folks like Kobe Bryant, number 24. And I'm very excited to have a shot on the show today. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm super excited. And like you said, I am a fan of Kobe Bryant. Uh, and now Steph Curry, you know, he's doing his thing out here. And so yeah. I'm excited to be on the, on the podcast. And uh, let's get into it, my man. I love it. So I'm going to start this podcast out the same way that I start every podcast. Tell us how you got involved with sales. Yeah. So for me, right, my, my mom wanted me to be a doctor, you know what I mean? And, and sales is totally different from the healthcare. <laughs> sales is not being a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I worked at a hospital for three, uh, three years to give it a try. I'm like, okay, my, my family wants me to get into healthcare. Let me try it out. And for me, you know, it was a little depressing working in the hospital. So I'm like, I can't do this. So I, you know, stood up to my parents and my family and said, you know, healthcare is just not for me. You know, I got to do something different. So I'm like, what's the mainly thing to do? I'm like, okay, I'll try construction. So I did window cleaning, bar washing, gutter cleaning for almost, uh, for about three years. And uh, they taught me payroll. They taught me how to negotiate contracts. And I don't know, the human interaction part of it, I fell in love with. And so that's how I got into sales. Uh, you know, shadowing business owners, but they showed me not just the construction component, but also how to negotiate. And negotiating and interacting with, with clients is what got me like, you know what, I should try sales. So I've been in sales for about six years plus, And that's how I got into sales. I love it, man. And, you know, I think so many people, especially now, because I feel like now the options are much more in our faces, but lots of people deal with that. Their parents wanting them to go into a certain field, pursue a certain career. And, you know, not only do people kind of cast aside their own ambitions to do that, um, but a lot of people don't come to the real come come to the realization that you came to until like years down the road. I mean, I was a I was a physician recruiter for a little while and so I recruited doctors. And you know, a few of them were 20 25 years in and absolutely miserable. You know, and if you really dug into it, it was like, well, my family wanted me to do it and I just kind of did it and uh, you know, 25 years later I'm not happy, you know. So kudos to you for having the courage to kind of stand up and say, "You know what? I gave it a good shot and I figured out it wasn't for me. And then, yeah. you know, so um, I think <clears throat> something I love about your journey is that, you know, so many people when they've gotten to that point, okay, so my parents wanted me to do this thing. I tried to do this thing. This thing isn't for me. So now what? You went into, you know, construction and then had the wherewithal to be aware uh, you know, about things outside of like just your particular duties, 
which I think is such a massive key for growth because anybody can be in any job and learn lots of things and ultimately figure out what they're passionate about if they only kind of turn their eye to it. You know, there, I, I, there was a guy I, I knew several years ago that was a cashier at my local Dunkin' Donuts. And this guy was like a rock star. Like he was the best cashier. He had the best attitude. And I went there so much that we would end up talking. And finally, I was like, man, you know, you've got all this energy and you've got all of this passion for what you're doing. Not to say that being a cashier is like a bad job, but you know, not too many people are that jacked up about, you know, going to work. Anybody going to, you know, is that excited about going to work. And so, you know, what he told me was, I see this as much more than just being a cashier. I'm getting to talk to people every day. I'm getting to meet new people every day. I'm getting to, you know, help my manager with the operational side of things. I'm getting this, this interaction like, like you experienced. And then, you know, when you have that passion, it kind of opens you up to, the possibilities of, of what you can do. And in this day and age, I think we're, we're just flooded with things that folks like you who are naturally gifted at talking to people and conversating and, and, and can build that rapport just naturally, you know, the world is your oyster today with things like the internet and, and, you know, social media. And, you know, I think it's important, you know, I came in contact with you. I think it was, via James Buckley, yeah. who's, who's uh, been on the podcast. And, you know, one of the things I noticed about your content that you're posting on LinkedIn is, is really, you know, it's just very honest. Like you, you, you speak directly to your audience and you speak about things that a lot of people might be, I don't know, shy to talk about or reluctant to talk about, you know, things about, you know, where you've come from, the struggles that you've had and, and how it's made you the person you are today. So, you know, talk to us about your decision to get active in social on LinkedIn and then open yourself up and be vulnerable like that. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a great thing and people that do it, have massive followings like Gary V comes to mind that you know he's just so right. open and he's sharing everything and people love that so right. but not everybody can do it so talk to us about right. like how you got to that point yeah so you know I've been on LinkedIn for like six seven years and when I initially got on LinkedIn it was you know just maybe if I wanted to look for a job I'll use LinkedIn right that was my initial mentality but then um, I would say in 2017, I started noticing people posting and I made a decision. I'm like, you know what? You know, there's Instagram, there's uh, Facebook, but I'm like, no one's really taking, you know, no one's really on LinkedIn, no one's really on LinkedIn. I said, so let me learn everything there is to know about LinkedIn and I'm going to make that part of, part of my brand, part of who I am. So I just started posting and making videos here and there, like when the video uh, feature came out, started making videos and just learning a platform. And then I fell in love with the platform because LinkedIn local came out and then I started doing LinkedIn local events. So that made me fall in love, in love with the platform even more. And so I think I just made a conscious decision to 
get active on the platform and uh, learn the ins and outs. And part of learning from the platform was connecting with other people on LinkedIn that were posting and reading articles that people had wrote in uh, and just learning and observing what other people were doing. You know, in music, right, you might listen to a song, you have some music artist that will remix the song. So it's like you might see what somebody else is doing, like, oh, I like that. And then you kind of just make it your own and you remix it. So I would say just being active on the platform and looking at what other people were doing, that's what helped me. And then the fact that LinkedIn Local had came out for that time and I did LinkedIn Local events for that month and other people were doing events. So I connected with other LinkedIn Local hosts and I just made it a cohesive platform. So then I'm like, man, this is powerful. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I kind of had the same feeling. Um, The messages that I wanted to talk about, the things that were on my mind, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it never really felt right. I had tried my hand at at being active on those platforms. And and, um, I love that you kind of had that same aha moment where you recognized, you know, this platform's changing into something different. They're, they're, and, and when you recognize that so early, like you did, it allows you to have awesome organic reach. So, you know, not only once you made that decision to kind of get in and start producing content, you know, I can imagine pretty quickly you're seeing, you're making these connections and these comments. And, you know, I think one unique thing about LinkedIn is that, I mean, I've been consistently producing content for all, you know, over a year and I've had almost no negative comments or people hating, you know, and I'm not the most controversial person in the world, but just from what I can tell, people are just there for the right reasons and they're there to lift other people up and engage. And so I think that helps too, because, you know, when you're putting yourself out there and you're taking that leap to start putting yourself on camera, and telling your story and talking about things that you are passionate about, it's scary because you don't know what the hell people are going to say. And so I think, you know, I've seen you get embraced by folks like James and, and, you know, Katie Wallace and, and, um, you know, those, those are, those are relationships that help motivate you to keep going. Right. Um, and so for, for you, being able to, you know, not only have these connections and, and these relationships online, but then take it offline, right? And, and do the LinkedIn local, you know, that really ties it together because then you start realizing like, wow, okay, so this is one of those things where this can go beyond the keyboard and the screen and I can really exactly. start building a reputation for myself. Um, yeah, I even, I even, when I was on the platform, uh, one of the suggestions that I follow was like connect with local people and just like, Hey, let's, let's have uh, coffee. And I met like some of the people that I met are like some high caliber people that if it wasn't for LinkedIn, I don't know if I would have had, you know, you know, I don't know if I would have had a shot to even have a conversation. Yeah. Um, I remember because when I was in high school, um, there is a, a local entrepreneur. His name is Dave Momano, right? And 
he he collaborated with my school when I was 16. So then when I was 24, or when I, around the time where I got active on LinkedIn for the first time, he was one of the first people I reached out to. And was like, hey, you know, uh, I recently moved back to Rochester. Uh, I'm looking to, you know, grow personally and professionally. Do you mind if we have coffee? He's like, sure. And then we had coffee and it's like, you know, and like, it just, it just awesome. And so things like that, if I would have messaged him on Facebook, that probably wouldn't happen. If I would have messaged him on Instagram, probably wouldn't have happened. But there's something about LinkedIn from a professional perspective that has power. You know, like you said, that relationship. And Facebook and Instagram, I don't know if you're going to build relationships there. That's not really the platform. It's more media and food and social, you know. It's not necessarily about the relationship. Yeah, and I think you're spot on because that's what I've noticed. I've recently become – I got back on Instagram just to see – and that's the big difference, right? It's like this direct access that you have to folks. Um, and so that's an important thing, man, because you know not only are you utilizing LinkedIn as a social platform to build your own brand, you know, create opportunities for yourself, share your story, but you know, leveraging it as a way to meet folks like that and I've had, you know, I've been lucky enough to have some of those same interactions. Um, and, you know, it just kind of opens your eyes like, wow. I mean, and I don't know if, if uh, before this, uh, you, you had mentors or not. I didn't, right? I never really had like a real mentor. But since being active on LinkedIn, you know, I can, I can count three or four people that, that I, I would consider mentors that have greatly helped me out, right? And so was that kind of the same thing for you? Because everybody says you need mentors, right? And everybody knows you need mentors, but sometimes it's harder, you know, it's easier said than done, right? And so was that kind of the same experience you had? Or, or had you, you know, been smart enough, unlike myself, to seek out mentorship before that? Um, so I would say yes and no. I had mentors, but it wasn't for professional reasons. You see Got what it. I'm saying? Yep. And there is so, a difference. And there's a huge difference. And so when I got active on LinkedIn, I would say when I, around the time I got active on LinkedIn was around the time I started finding my, finding my mentors. I would say, because I'm like you, I have three mentors. One came from not LinkedIn and two of them did come from LinkedIn. And so um, LinkedIn did have an impact on my development. You know, I I would definitely say, uh, you know, like even like Gary Vee or like Patrick Bet-David, I don't know if I would have necessarily found out about their content if it wasn't for LinkedIn. Um, I probably would have heard of Gary Vee just through people and, and, and YouTube but it's like there's a lot of powerful information, like you said, from Katie Wallace and, um, you know, Quentin Ollams and things of that nature. And so, like, I would definitely say LinkedIn definitely had an impact from a mentor perspective. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, mentorship is one of those things that is is just so critical to growing and and especially so you know one of the things i wanted to bring up is you know on your linkedin profile the first thing you say is like i did not go to college i learned (laughs) i learned on the job and i read books and i'm the same way 
right? I didn't go to a four-year college. I graduated my little two-year technical degree in 2008 during the middle of the Great Recession and, you know, had to figure out how to hell to survive. And so, um, you know, the folks that I know that have that kind of journey where they, you know, didn't take the traditional route, they didn't do what they were supposed to do or, you know, kind of follow that path, you know, those are, those are the people that when, you know, 15, 10 years down the line, they're not only doing great things, but they're passionate about it because they've realized earlier than most people that, you know, you really do have to kind of hone in on what, what you're passionate about and, and follow it. Right. And I think um, college, while it's a great, option for some people if you want to be a lawyer or you want to be a doctor you know i think college sometimes can give the opportunity for people to you know kind of pause their lives a bit right like i could just spend four years partying having fun getting my major in communications and i'll worry about what the hell i'm going to do in four years you know which um again nothing wrong with that but if at the same time you're a person who says they have ambition and want to do a lot of great things, that's wasted time, right? And so I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, if you had a time machine and you could go back to when you were, you know, 18, 17, 18, would you go to college or would you go the way that you've gone and, and, you know, learned from actually doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would definitely have, if I was to have a time machine and I am myself now, I was to tell myself at 18, 17, I would still tell myself to go with my intuition because working at a hospital and then working in construction and working in retail and then having my own business for three years with a business partner and then that didn't work out because of the relationship and then now i'm working at a co-work you know i'm working at a co-working space uh you know i'm a community manager um i did linkedin local i now know my because i went that route I know what I like and I don't like. Like I have a huge understanding of my strengths, weaknesses, what kind of jobs I like, what kind of jobs I wouldn't take and things of that nature. But if I would have went to college first, then graduated, then decided, and then started working, I probably wouldn't come to this conclusion until I'm like 34. See what I mean? So I think- And how old are you now? I'm 26. Yeah, so you'd only be two years out of college. I mean, you know, like if especially if you got an advanced degree, you know, so you'd only be two years into this figuring this shit That's out. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I worked when I was, my first job. I was 16. I'm 26. So I have 10 years work experience, and I'm only 26. But if I would have went to college, like you said, I probably would only have two years. So it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. A whole different ballgame. So I would I would have told myself, go with your intuition. You know, if somebody knows, like, there are some, like, um, my ex-wife, she knew from the age eight, nine years old that she wanted to be a cosmetologist. Like, some people just know at a certain age, this is what I want to be. Yeah. I want to be a mechanic. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a policeman. But 
that's a very small percentage, maybe five, 10, maybe even less than that. Yeah. But I would say the vast majority of us, when we're 18, 19, 20 years old, how could you know what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Like, how could you really make that decision? And there's debt involved. Like, that's a huge financial decision, you know? It's kind of like, I would say, the decision is just as serious as, like, getting married, buying a house. It's not minimized. It's not like, you know. Um, it's a huge a life decision. Goal. Right. It's not a fly decision. It's something you got to really calculate. And now that I'm 26, if I were to go to college, it would be to be a paralegal, which is only, what, I could take a year program. And then uh, this uh, business process management, but it's a five-day boot camp. So it's like a year of college or a five-day boot camp. It's like, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's a whole different ballgame once you yeah. know yourself. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you touched on something that I think a lot of people can relate to. It's that feeling of not really knowing what you want to do. I mean, I think about the group of friends that I had in high school. There were six of us. We hung out all the time, and none of us knew what we wanted to do. One guy knew that he wanted to go in, uh, into, like, cars. Like, he just wanted to be a mechanic, and he just did it. Like, he got a job before any of us else. You know, I mean, he was already on it because he just knew from the time he was little, I'm going to be a mechanic. There's nothing else that I want to do. The rest of us were like, uh, uh, you know, I, I – wanted to be a rapper one of my friends wanted to be a uh, beat maker you know it's like um and and those are fine things to want to be right but um i think it was born out of not really having any direction and i think you know a lot of people can maybe look at college as like oh finally i can just feel like i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing because i don't know what to do um but damn that's a that's a uh, expensive trip to take Right. And, and especially another thing you mentioned that I think is just very poignant for the kind of age we live in right now is that you've got options. There's different ways to educate yourself nowadays. Right. And, and, you know, I've toyed around with the idea of going back and getting some sort of degree. And when I've looked at it, there's options. I don't have to spend four years doing that. I could get certified. I could, you know, spend a year, uh, night classes, boot camps, things like that. So there are other options that aren't going to cost you an arm and a leg and suck up four years of your life at a time when, you know, you need to be kind of trying different things out and figuring, you know, dipping your toes in over here and trying this thing out very much like your journey, right? You did, you did the hospital, didn't like it. You did construction, you learned a lot, figured out a direction you wanted to go in, and then you went there. You had a business partner, it didn't work out. I mean, these are all such valuable lessons that, that um, have obviously brought you to a point where you're able to now feel like uh, you have more control over where you're going in life because you know what you want and you know what you don't want. And I think that's one of the scariest things for people when they think about their future, especially when you're in your mid-20s and, and you're not a baby anymore, but you're not 40, right? And you're not, you don't have a full-fledged family and, you know, all of that stuff. It can be a little unnerving because it's like, oh, God, you know, I got to get something going. And uh, that, ang that anxiety um, can sometimes be crippling, 
right? But you've had the opportunity to spend 10 years, <laughs> you know, you've gone through that much earlier than, than a lot of folks. Um, and it, you know what, it reminds me of Kobe, right? Because Kobe, he spent no time bullshitting around. You know, he knew what he was good at. He knew what he was going to do. He had a laser focus. You know, obviously that guy's an anomaly uh, for the rest of us. Like most people aren't like that, but you know, he wasn't even willing to spend four years in college. He wasn't even willing to, I mean, he knew, right? And so when you know, you got to act on it, right? And, you know, when, when I was thinking about recording this episode today, I actually watched a podcast that had Kobe on it um, with Alex Rodriguez. Okay. And, uh, God, it was a great conversation, first of all. <clears throat> and to be honest, when he was playing, I loved him as a player, but I never really watched any of his interviews, never really dove into how dedicated he was or his training regimen or anything like that. I just like watching him, you know, do his thing on the court. But, you know, God, that guy, I mean, he's, he's up at four. You know, I, it, the, one, the one thing that – uh, he said that stood out to me was that not only would he go uh, to the stadium or the arena early, like an hour before everybody would get there, but if he was on the road, he'd get there two hours early so that he could spend time on the court. You know, he's on the road. It's an unfamiliar place, you know, and he's willing to go two hours before anybody's even there just to prepare himself and feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to perform at my highest level and being on the road is not going to matter. Right. Um, and so, you know, you were, you refer to yourself as the business point guard and, and, you know, I know we've talked about this before and it's essentially because you have a, a strong love and background in operations, but also a strong passion for sales and that, and that side of the world. Um, you know, when you were, going into a meeting or, you know, something that's important to you. Is yeah. there, is there, you know, a level of preparation that you feel like you need to have, or is it kind of a constant thing where you're kind of always reading and optimizing and learning? Um, you, you know, talk to us about kind of your process when it comes to getting better, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So like you mentioned about uh, Kobe Bryant, right? So, Kobe Bryant pretty much over-prepared. And even like Steph Curry, one of the reasons why I love Steph Curry as well is his training is out of this world. Like what he does to stay in shape and, and to progress. Um, and so like for business meetings or even a one-on-one -on -one or whatever it is, I always make sure that I'm prepared. My aim is to be the most prepared person in the room. Uh, and so my, you know, I try to show up 10, 15 minutes early. Uh, I have my notes in front of me and, you know, this, that, and the third. Um, I might even do some extra research um, and things of that nature. Uh, and then as far as my own personal development, you know, I'm reading the uh, emotional intelligence book. I go to, I go to seminars. I go to panels. Um, you know, I'm always, I'm always learning. Um, you think about Kobe and Steph Curry, they're constantly training. I remember Kobe Bryant said one time, I think it was the, I think it was, uh, the U.S. You know how they compete for the USA or whatever and yep, yep. Um, things of that nature. And um, 
he somebody asked him one of the uh, one of the basketball players and he said, "Are you going to train? Like, are you going to go to the gym today?" He's like, "Nah, you know, I'm I'm thinking about taking. I might just you know relax a little bit." And then the person goes and they see Kobe in there, the first person in there. You know what I mean? So Kobe was like, he was always the first person training. Um, and so I, from that perspective, no matter what it is, no matter how big or small, I make sure that I'm prepared for it. I make sure that I'm on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think one thing that I, I've, I've encountered that people struggle with that are kind of prepared and maybe over preparers, they make sure they're always 10 or 15 minutes early is not everybody else is like that. And um, I've experienced this in my career where I've had to kind of learn like, you know, I can't expect other people to prepare like I prepare. Like I want to be the most prepared person in the room like you, but I can't get mad at somebody else if they roll in at, you know, 159 right? Or right at two o'clock and they're ready to go, right? Um, and so it's like, it's, it's almost a little bit of what Gary Vee talks about. It's like, do things without expectation, right? And, and prepare for a meeting and show up 10 or 15 minutes early because that's what you want to do, regardless of, you know, if anybody else wants to. And, you know, folks like Kobe, folks like Michael Jordan, you know, any, any exceptional person in their field, has learned that, right? These other guys, I can't get mad at them for showing up to the arena when it's time to show up, right? That's only going to poison the team. That's only going to separate, you know, me from other people, which I think when you have ambition and you have passion, that's sometimes a hard thing for other people to kind of jive with, right? Um, I remember, and we both worked in retail, right? And I remember in retail, you know, out of a team of eight reps, three or four of them didn't give a shit, right? They were just there to collect a paycheck or it was a stopgap between them going to school or, you know, whatever it was, but they definitely weren't dialed in like I was. And I made the mistake of kind of resenting those people. And then this makes life harder, you know? So how do you, being so ambitious and kind of this mentality of kind of always optimizing is, is that something that you've struggled with too? Like kind of feeling like, God, like, you know, I wish these other people would get in the game like I am or, 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 you know, is, is it something you've managed to, to kind of get past? I would say, you know, the thing about emotional intelligence, it's, it's about self-awareness, but then also social awareness. And when you are aware of yourself, and you are at peace with yourself, you know what you want, you know your goals, you know um, you know your personality uh, and your lifestyle, that's one thing. Then another thing is being aware of other people, showing empathy, compassion, uh, things of that nature. And so for me, I would say, I don't expect others to be like me. I don't expect others to prepare like me. I don't expect others. I will, some, some, I will say sometimes that when someone when someone maybe has a quote-unquote complaint and I feel it's not a big deal because I go so above and beyond, that rubs me the wrong way. But then I try to put my ego to the side. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, why are they, why they got to press me about this? They know I don't do X, Y, Z, whatever, from my perception. And they come at me with this small thing, but then I, you know, I'm like, okay, let me I'll apologize, whatever it is, whatever. 
But then what I will say is the challenge I do have is because of my work ethic or this or that, sometimes I do, I rub them the wrong way. They may feel, I'm not going to say they're insecure, but it bothers them in a certain way. It can be intimidating. I've I've been called arrogant um, or prideful or have a big ego because of it to an extent. Um, and I take it with a grain of salt, you know. Um, Chalk it up to the game, right? You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, and so that's the challenge. The challenge is when someone has a problem with me and I feel like it's not a big deal, I have to humble myself. Mm-hmm. And then I have to find ways to, although I'm, you know, ambitious and I my work ethic and things of that nature, I'm I try to communicate in a way that shows them that I don't feel superior to them. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I constantly have to work on. Yeah. So no, uh, quick notice to all the ambitious folks out there listening to this, keep that ego in check, be super self-aware and, you know, show that kind of empathy to the other person because, you know, as, as ambitious as one individual is, you, you can't do things alone, right? And you need, you need that buy-in from other people. And, it, you know, it is interesting um, when, when you are ambitious and you have things that you want to do and you're out there doing it, it makes some people uncomfortable because they wish they were doing it or they know they're not doing quite, you know, they're not following or living in their passion, you know, and so sometimes that makes people uncomfortable, you know, but I think you can help them turn that around by, you know, being humble, you know, practicing empathy and and making sure that they know like, hey, like, I'm just like you, I've just, I'm just dialed up a few, you know. Um, and, and I think that's a great message, man. And so as we uh, get to the end of the podcast here, I want to make sure that uh, you have an opportunity to let people know how they can reach out to you. Um, you know, anything you want to pitch, this is your time. Yeah, I mean, if someone wants to reach out to me, they can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Um, Ashad Mason, although I go by my last name, Mason. Uh, they want to, someone is local, Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, and they want to tour uh, Metro Cork. My email is eastav at metrocork.com. Um, and even if they don't necessarily want to tour, if they just want to network, um, you know, build a relationship, they can feel free to reach out to me either by email um, or hit me on LinkedIn. I love it, man. I love it. And I have to ask you the same question that I ask everybody that comes on the Lunch Break podcast, because it is called the Lunch Break podcast. What's your favorite place to eat lunch, man? So although I live in Rochester, New York, my favorite place to eat lunch is in Albany, New York. It's a place called Iron Gate Cafe. You know that, you know, I'm a big operations, business process guy. Efficiency, yep. It's efficient, man. Like, no matter, like, I went in there one time, and literally, there was like seven people in front of me. So they took my phone number, and it was like, um, the waiting, you know, we're going to call you in about five minutes. Five minutes, there's no way. So they just trying to make me feel good. <laughs> walk outside, you know, I'm taking pictures and whatnot. And then two minutes later, I get a text message, your your table is ready. I'm like, what? So I go in, they sit me down, they sit us down or whatever. I order my drink, 
two minutes later. <laughs> I order my food, five minutes later. Mm. And then you know, have my conversation. Da, da, da. So from the time I walked in to the time I left, I was there probably 55 minutes, an hour and five minutes. Yeah. And although I wasn't there that long, the experience was amazing. Like, it was just amazing. And so Iron Gate Cafe, downtown Albany, New York, that's my favorite place for lunch. I love it, man. And leave it to you to pick a place that's operationally efficient. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ashad, you know, thank you so much. And I do have to say, uh, I I really do appreciate you coming on because we we had actually recorded this episode weeks ago. I had some technical issues and and lost the recording or part of the recording. And and you've been gracious enough to, to make some more time for me to come back on. So I just really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, my man. All right, so with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 24 of the Lunch Break podcast. Speak to you guys soon.